Welcome to Poets and Writers. This is Henry McCarthy, and I'm on the road today. I'm talking with Charlie Lovett, an excellent writer, been on the New York Times best-selling list, and we've had him on before. And Charlie has three new books coming out, so we're going to get right to it. Charlie Lovett, how are you today? I'm well. I'm well. It's good to see you again. Well, it's great. It's always great to come here to your lovely home and to see the Lewis Carroll typewriter. Yeah, yeah. I think, is it back here now? It's so, back. It was. I think it was off being mm-hmm. restored the last time you were here. Yeah. Absolutely. Out in Texas, I think. Yeah, that's right. Says. Charlie Lovett, let's talk about your books. You have three new books. Go right ahead and mention each one of them. Sure. Well, I have a new novel coming out called The Enigma Affair. It's um, it's sort of a thriller. I've never done a thriller before. I thought it would be fun. Uh, but it still has some book background, as many of my books do. It's about a small town North Carolina librarian uh, and a professional assassin who team up to solve a 75-year-old Nazi mystery. So it's got a little, little bit of everything in it. And it also features the return of Peter Byerly, who was the hero of The Bookman's Tale, my first novel. Uh, he's not the main character, but he does, he does show up in this novel. We get to see what he's been up to for the last 20 years or so. Uh, then I have a book on Lewis Carroll that I've been working on for many years. It's, an, it's a new biography of him that examines his religious life and his, his faith, uh, which is something that was very the sort of the cornerstone of his being and yet has been neglected by some previous biographers. So that's coming out from the University Press of Virginia. And then I have a middle grade book, which I've been working on for quite a while and I'm very excited about it. It's the first of a, hope to be the first of a trilogy. I've actually written the second one, but the first one's coming out uh, called The Book of the Seven Spells. That's a, an adventure book about four very different children who get thrown together as a, as a team and they discover this magical library and they have to try to, to keep a very powerful book out of the hands of a man who should not have a very powerful book. Let's put it that way. <laughs> And you have Lewis Carroll, we have the middle school, and then we have the mystery, the new mystery. All right, let's go directly to Lewis Carroll. Okay. Okay, because I'll have to tell you, and I'll have to confess to the listeners out there, that I'm looking up and becoming somewhat uh, more knowledgeable about Lewis Carroll because of Charlie Love. So, (laughs) Charlie, talk about your involvement with Lewis Carroll. Well, you know, I uh, I started collecting Lewis Carroll books as right out of college, uh, Alice in Wonderland, Through the Looking Glass, and then gradually more and more of his writings as I discovered what a sort of a Renaissance man he was. He was he was a photographer in the very early days of photography. He was a mathematician, a logician. He invented games, wordplay, and wrote novels, and you know, just a, such a wide variety of of interests, and a great humorist as well. But I also knew that he was a deacon in the in the English church, and that uh, his his faith life was sort of the cornerstone of everything else. I mean, almost whether you look at his children's books or even his mathematics, you can find connections to that that core of Christian faith. And it was something that a lot of previous biographers had not written a whole lot about. You know, it's not. It, it, I guess they thought maybe it wasn't quite as interesting as some other aspects of his life, but I, I thought it was fascinating. So I was able to really delve into that specifically. The religious aspect of his life. Yeah, and and so I looked at I looked first at his father, who was a really important figure in the English. Right now, church. remind our listeners what Lewis Carroll wrote. Well, he wrote Alice in Wonderland, most famously, Through the Looking Glass, Hunting of the Snark, and lots and lots of others, but. Okay, so absolutely. So now go with this religious. Thing. So, so one of the, the interesting things about researching a book, even about such a well-known person, I mean, 20, 25 biographies have been written about Lewis Carroll. 
But since other people had neglected this particular aspect, I was working with a lot of original source materials that nobody had ever laid eyes on before. And so that was very exciting to, to be in libraries in England and, and be looking at manuscript materials of things like the lectures and sermons that his high school headmaster gave, you know, when, when he was in high school that nobody ever even considered looking at before. So it, it, uh, it's been a, a book I've been working on for about 10 or 12 years. Uh, I'm very excited to finally finally have it coming out. We've got a great New Testament scholar at Duke University whose father is also a Lewis Carroll collector who's written the introduction for us, Mark Goodacre. And uh, I, I think it'll give people sort of a new view of Lewis Carroll that they haven't had before that will maybe, uh, in some ways, uh, help them make sense of the disparate parts of his life and understand that they all really are closely connected. Well, now there's an Alice connection to religion. Talk a little bit about where he came up with the name Alice for the book. Well, Alice was a, she was a real little girl, mm-hmm. uh, a, friend, a friend of his. She was the daughter of the dean of Christ Church, which was, was his college in, in Oxford. And, you know, it's a well-known story about they went out rowing out on the river on a summer day, and the little girl said, tell us a story, and he told them the story of Alice in Wonderland. But there, there are interesting connections to look at in, in the novel, in, in the, the way the book was written, the circumstances of that boat trip, uh, are surrounded by various other things. I don't. I don't want to give too much away here. Yes. But, uh, yes. but for instance, I I came across a sermon that he listened to a day or two before that boat trip that uh, uses the the very same words to talk about divine inspiration that Lewis Carroll later used to describe the way he wrote Alice in Wonderland. Uh, almost the exact same uh, phrasing, you know. So there's a lot of a lot of connections with the Alice book. I, there's a whole chapter in the book about sort of Lewis Carroll as the, I almost call him the apostle of children. You know, he he used, although the Alice book itself was not overtly religious, he used that as a platform to share religious messages with children throughout his life in various ways, both in person and in print. Well, Charlie, you're also a very good playwright. Now, if you were describing or characterizing Lewis Carroll for play, how would you characterize him? Uh, you know, I've seen him portrayed on stage before, uh, and it's 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 always an interesting challenge because he was, uh, in some ways, he he was an introvert and an extrovert at the same time. I mean, I, I kind of feel that too. I think a lot of writers are that way. We are happy to spend all day alone in a room working on a book, uh, but we also like to go out and talk to people. And and he was he was that way. You sometimes see him described as shy or you know retiring and I think he was shy and retiring when he was in a situation where he didn't want to talk to people mm-hmm. and when he did want to talk to people he was very outgoing I mean he would often go and and seek out people in London who he admired artists and and uh, what did he look like what was his stage presence well he was tall for his time I mean we don't know exactly how tall but he's probably about six feet tall and he was described as sort of standing very erect and straight up and down he'd Dressed very conservatively, usually in a you know clerical black jacket and, and tie, and uh, wore a top hat and gray gloves when he was out in the street. But also was you know he just had this twinkle in his eye. Almost everybody who knew him said said that, and uh, you know he he had a he had a great sense of humor, not just on the page but in person as well. Well, we know also he was brilliant in many ways and a mathematician, and something about Scrabble that he came up with the. Uh 
first Scrabble or well he invented a lot of different word oh. games yeah not not anything specifically like Scrabble you know there's one called doublets which you see now called a word chain you know that shows up in a lot of places shows up in the New York Times crossword puzzle every now and then he invented a game called Landrick which was he did he did a lot of variations on card games chess games croquet games he invented an a version of billiards that was to be played on a circular table, even though no such table existed. But uh, so he, he he invented lots of variations on existing games, and then also quite a few word games of his own. What kind of poetry did he write? He wrote well. I mean, he's most known for his nonsense poetry, but he also wrote serious poetry, especially earlier in his life, um, which is you know it's another thing that's been kind of overlooked because you know serious Victorian poetry these days is not you know, not super popular, and, and if you are reading serious Victorian poetry, you're probably reading, you know, Tennyson and, and Burns and all, you know, sort of the more, more well-known, people who are well-known for writing serious poetry, but early in his life, he did write quite a bit of that, and, and one of the last, well, the last book that he published, it actually came out right after he died, but it had been in, in the press, before, you know, he had seen it through the press. Uh, was a collection of his his serious poems from from earlier in life, and I do look at those in the book because there are some of those that do touch on on religious subjects. What do you mean by nonsense poetry? Well, the poems in Alice in Wonderland, for instance, yeah. or uh, the hunting. You know, Jabberwocky is probably the greatest example of a nonsense poem in in English history. You know, do you Alice, remember any lines from Jabberwocky? Uh, that's just well, it's, it's just twas grilling in the slithy toes did. Gyre and Gimble and the Wave, all mimsy where the Bora goes, and the Mome Rats outgrave, and it goes on from there. And Alice says of it, I can almost, you know, I, I think it means something, I'm just not quite sure what. And I think, I, I'm paraphrasing her, but I think that's, um, you know, that's probably a good, as good a definition of nonsense poetry as, as anyone's right. come up with. Well, yeah. I mean, to dwell on that, what your point is. Listeners, this is Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7, and this is Henry McCarthy. And we're talking to Charlie Lovett, just an outstanding writer and personality and quite a philosophy and intellect, if I might <laughs> say. And it's always engaging for me to talk with Charlie Lovett here on Poets and Writers. All right, Lewis Carroll, we've talked about him. And you, obviously, you're a member of the Lewis Carroll Society, and mm. there are so many different folks who... Um, who study him, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 So, and what era did he live in? So he was born in 1832 and died in 1898, so he is almost exactly a Victorian. I mean, Queen Victoria came to the throne when he was five years old, and she was still there when he died. So um, I, I think we absolutely call him a, a quintessential Victorian. I think of the Victorian architecture around Abingdon, Virginia, when mm -hmm. you say that in yeah. that era, yes. Yeah. Okay, and now that's one of your books, That's gonna, and that's published by, you said, the University of Virginia. That's published by University of Virginia Press, and that'll be out on the 20th of September. Talk a little bit about University Presses, and uh, you, you mentioned a little bit about yeah, the Yeah, well, I mean, one of the, it, people keep saying to me, oh, you have three books coming out in one month. You must have been very busy, and I, I won't say <laughs> that I haven't been busy, but COVID certainly changed the publishing industry for, for a while there. And so two of the books that I have coming out, and the Lewis Carroll book is one of them, were delayed for because of COVID. And, you know, if, if you think about university presses, you know, the board, the people who choose which books are going to be published, these are all working professors and, and uh, staff members at, at a university. And when COVID came along, they had a lot bigger fish to fry than what book are we going to publish next, you know. And, and so everything just kind of slowed down a lot with with the university presses, with the peer review process, because 
you know, instead of doing peer review for a book, a professor was trying to figure out how to have a class on Zoom and things like this. So, so it did slow things down, and that's one of the reasons I have these books coming out at the same time. So you have three books, and you have one. I know that you have actually taught in an elementary school, or you worked a good bit with yeah. middle school students, yeah. and so you have quite a background in that. So talk. I'm very interested in this middle school book. Sure. Well, you know, I had written a lot of plays for, for middle schoolers, and, and then when The Bookman's Tale, my first novel, was published, I kind of pivoted to, to writing novels. And I said to my agent, this was probably five years ago, I can't remember when we had this conversation, I said, you know, I, I miss writing for, for children. I, I like writing novels for adults, but, but I don't want to, you know, never write for kids again. And she said, have you ever thought about writing a middle grade book? And at that time, I didn't even really quite know what that meant. I knew what YA was. And what. And she said, well, middle grade is like YA, except nope, there's no romance. YA almost always has a romance. Middle grade's for slightly younger kids. Usually there's not a romance, but just, just a lot of adventure. And she interesting, gave, very she interesting. She gave me some examples. And um, so I started working on on a, a middle grade adventure book about four children who discover a magical library and who have to work to try to keep this very powerful book of magic out of the hands of a sort of overbearing, uh, power-hungry, evil guy. And I had written about half the book. My wife and I were in um, were traveling in England with, uh, with a group from our church. The youngsters from our church were singing in a choir at Canterbury Cathedral. And we were driving across England with the two of these girls in the back of our car, and my wife said, you know, they're getting restless. Do you mind if I read them some of that <laughs> manuscript? And she hadn't, I hadn't even showed it to her yet. And so she started to read it to him. Well, the next thing you know, every night after the kids had sung their even song and then they'd gone out to have some dinner, they would all show up in our hotel room and we would read them a couple chapters of this of this manuscript. And well, then of course when we got home, they were pestering me to keep writing and finish finish the story. And so that's how the that's sort of how the book began. It's been rewritten several times since then. And in fact, when we first had the lockdown on COVID, we got together a group of kids a lot of the same kids, but some new ones too, on Zoom. And we had nightly story time, and I read them the new rewritten version of that book, as well as reading them the sequel, which is still just in manuscript. Um, and that was one of the one of the ways we sort of helped so keep our sanity in those. Exactly. I, I know middle schools. I, I taught middle school briefly in yeah. Eugene, Oregon, a number of years ago. Now, talk a little bit about now... You said it was adventure and not about love as much. I find that intriguing, mm -hmm. but I understand what. Yeah, you're I would say this book it, it's it's more about friendship. The kids are four very very different kids. You have one one girl who is her her father's Nigerian, her mother is Indian. She is she has worked for her whole school life to become the most popular kid in the school, and she kind of at the beginning of the novel she kind of you know looks down on some of these other kids. You have one girl who is. Um, She's an athlete. She's all all about sports and just you know is always out there running and climbing and everything. But she's much. She's an individual, so she's not really into team sports. You know, she likes she likes track and things like that where she can sort of be herself. You have her twin brother who is who is the book nerd. He he's constantly got his nose in a book. And then you have Sebastian, whose whose family has immigrated here from Peru, okay. and he's a he's a movie nut. He knows everything about every movie that was ever. So that these four very very different kids. And they're thrown together on this adventure, and they have to figure out how to how to work together, and ultimately how to how to be friends and and, and respect each other. You know? For some reason, listeners out there, I just had a fade back to the Hardy Boys, but 
Well, I mean, yeah, I've been talking about. I think the Hardy Boys is, you know, that those children's series books were what we had before we had terms like YA and middle grade books. And of course, as you know, my novel Escaping Dreamland is very much inspired by books like the Hardy Boys and and Nancy Drew and others. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's it it is that. But they're you know sort of layered onto that because the Hardy Boys they they're uh, they're not different. And their kid, their their friends are all sort of up, oh. up a piece. You know, I mean, there there's sure. the there's mm-hmm. Chet and there's Biff, and you know, but mm-hmm. they're but they're all kind of like in terms of their cultural backgrounds and their socioeconomic status and lots of other things. They're 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 pretty similar kids. I wanted to make these four kids as different as I could, given the context that they all live in the same small town and go to the same school. And but I wanted them to be forced to interact with kids that on a normal school day they would not want to interact with. I think that's fascinating and I think it will be enjoyed greatly by middle school as well as adults and yeah, certainly, yeah, you I, absolutely I can read be read by adults. Books, yeah, you know? I mean, I I really wanted to write just a cracking good story and and not worry too much about what age the person is who's reading it. You know, listeners out there, we're talking with Charlie Lovett today. We've had him on the show a number of times. We've actually done reruns of his show, and many of you have mentioned that to me that you enjoyed him so much. So. When we say he has three new books out, they're new, but they've been in process for yeah. a long time. Charlie, give the titles again. So I have a new novel coming out called The Enigma Affair. And that is, you know, if you've been reading my novels, that's that's kind of the, the next one on the list. It actually, it does connect to one of my previous novels in that the hero of the bookman's tale, Peter Byerly, is a minor character in this novel. He's not a major character, but he, he shows back up. And so we get to find out what he's up to. Uh, then the book about Lewis Carroll is called Lewis Carroll Formed by Faith uh, and that's the religious biography of the author of Alice in Wonderland uh, and then my middle grade book is called The Book of the Seven Spells which is uh, and it's actually The Book of the Seven Spells book one so that's your middle grade be a th- trilogy. Yeah. The Book of Seven Spells the Book of the and Seven of course Spells that yeah. will come to bear we will understand that title as we oh, read yeah. the book yeah. The Book of Seven <laughs> Spells Charlie, it's always a delight to talk with you, and I know that you have a Davidson background. I haven't asked you this in a while, and I like to ask the writers about themselves. And as you know, we always ask where you're from, and I'm talking with you here in Winston-Salem. Talk a little bit about your life. Well, I grew up here in Winston-Salem. My father taught English at Wake Forest and was a book collector. And so I grew up in a household where books were valued both for their content and for their physical presence, if you will, um, and I think you see that a lot in in my novels. I there's always there are always rare books and old books in my novels, even if they're not the focus of the book. They're they're always there. And then I I went out, I went away to prep school and then went to Davidson, as you said. And uh, you know, in both at in my high school and at Davidson, there were opportunities to sort of foster creative writing. Well, what is it? You know, we've had the Denham brothers on this show. We've had a number of Davidson writers mm-hmm. and philosophers and poets. What is it in the water down there at Davidson? Well, I mean, I think part of it is the nature of a liberal arts education. The, the, a good liberal arts education, which I feel like I got at Davidson and most of the people I know who went there get, feel the same way, is uh, educating your mind to be the kind of mind that continues to be curious, that continues to learn, that continues to create. I mean, I think about professors like Tony Abbott, 
who who I worked with at Davidson. I had him for my modern drama class, you know, and and he said uh, at the end, he's like, you can write a term paper or you can write a play. And I'm like, how cool is that for a professor? It wasn't a playwriting class. It was a literature class. But we had the option to, to write a play as our final paper well obviously that's what i did you know uh, i don't think it was a very good play but it was the first one i'd ever nobody ever asked me to write a play before now people ask me to write plays and I, you know but i think really it what it comes down to is just a, a good liberal arts education creates the kind of mind that is able to to think and learn and appreciate the world around it and in so many different ways and that all comes to bear in your writing very good charlie love it and uh when I came in your home today, and it's a lovely home, and with your collection here and so on, you said you're getting ready to go to England again, and I know you're over there a good bit. Talk a little bit about what that's about. You we and your are. wife getting um, ready to leave. We, my wife and I have a cottage over there, and uh, we haven't been since 2019 because of the because of the pandemic. You know, international travel was just quite difficult for quite a while there. So we're looking forward to being back for a few weeks. We have a lot of friends over there, and... and uh, Things are opening back up over there, so you know. The, what, another reason we didn't want to go is it seemed, you know, you don't want to go to the trouble of international travel just to be in quarantine in a different living room from the one you've been in quarantine. Yeah, absolutely. In, you know? yes. <laughs> but so it'll it'll be nice to be back. I, you know, to me, it's a place to recharge. A lot of times, I come home with ideas. A lot of my novels are set either all or partly in England. The new novel is very much inspired by, um, play, in, in some cases, the new novel, The Enigma Affair, has as part of its background the code-breaking operation that went on at Bletchley Park during World War II. And, and my wife and I have been to Bletchley two or three times. I went once while I was working on the novel, but we've been a couple times before that. And a lot of the places we visit in England end up in influencing my, my writing as well. And you want to late home over there but you also have been in you i know that you have made a major contribution to uh, rare books and used bookstores and bookstores and uh, i'm gonna i know bookmarks you've been mm-hmm. involved in yep. that talk a little bit about bookmarks because many of my listeners yeah. know bookmarks well bookmarks began just as a book festival here in winston-salem about oh i think 16 or 17 years ago in when i w- i came on as the as a member of their board of directors about the time that the Bookman's Tale came out, so that yes. would have been 2013, mm-hmm. something like that. And eventually was, was president of the board for three years, and it was during that time that we set as a goal opening a nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem. We didn't have an independent bookstore in Winston-Salem at the time, and we didn't really have a place where you know we could do author events on a daily basis, and Bookmarks was doing more and more events. And in fact, the first time Bookmarks ever sold books was at the book launch for the Bookman's Tale. That, that was those were the first books they ever sold, and so it's been almost five years now. Uh, we're coming up on our fifth birthday. It's hard to believe, but 2017 we we opened a bookstore in, in downtown Winston Salem, and it's been it's been it's thriving ever since. Fantastic. They did a great job of adapting for COVID and doing virtual events and drive-by pickup and everything. And, well, and you tied uh, in there the location there with Foothills. And, yeah, it's and a, uh, it's a, you can it's have a, a cup of coffee, a meal, or a beer, and just enjoy your you know, there's not. I don't know of a lot of places where you can go in under the under the same roof and buy a locally a brew a beer that was brewed five feet from where you're drinking it, and then also walk in and see a visiting author and wander through a great bookstore. I mean, yeah, it's it's a pretty 
uh, it's a pretty special place. It's it's uh, and and we we continue to be involved there and support it in any way that we can. Absolutely, you made a major contribution there, you among others, and I appreciate it so much. We're talking with Charlie Lovett today. Charlie, as we move along here today, I want to mention to you, you know, I noticed that you're drinking a Coke, and I noticed as I came in today, there's a Coke symbol outside. If you don't mind my asking you, what's your connection to Coca-Cola? Well, my great-great-grandfather was Asa Candler, who was the founder of the Coca-Cola company. So I figure I'll put a sign up in the garage, you know. <laughs> now, that was your great-great-grandfather. <laughs> he was my great, double great-grandfather, yeah. He founded the company in 1886, I think. Well, for our listeners out there, you want to give us a little bit of insight into the ingredients? I'm doing this tongue-in-cheek. No, I'm know, actually doing this tongue-in-cheek. I, I wish I knew the ingredients. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I can remember my father telling me about talking to my great-grandfather about the day that he found out, he saw the recipe. So this was the son of the founder. So when, the, when it was still a private company, and he said... It was one of the most special days of his life. I mean, it was because there were only he saw the rest. There are only two or three people who know, you know, okay. at, at that time, and I think now there's not that not not that many. But I don't think there's this not. This was any, your father talking to your grandfather. To my to to my mother's grandfather. Okay. Yeah, my great great grandfather. Right. My great grandfather. But um, did he divulge the recipe to him? Oh, absolutely not. No. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, that's that's just a great story. And Charlie Lovett, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show today. And again, I would like for you to mention again to our listeners the three new books that you have coming out and, of course, where they can find them. Sure. So we have the middle grade book, The Book of the Seven Spells, and then Lewis Carroll Formed by Faith, which is the religious biography of Lewis Carroll. And then the one I'm really especially excited about, too, is my is the new novel, The Enigma Affair, which I said is a, it's a set against the background of a sort of a World War II historical backdrop, but it's set in 2015. It starts in North Carolina. It goes through England and all across Europe. It goes to Prague and then down into Germany, and I think we end up in Liechtenstein. We go all over, and, and uh, it, it's a straight thriller. It's, you know, I wanted to write a book where where the protagonist is in mortal danger in the first paragraph. And that's that's what this book does. He's this small-town North Carolina librarian is at home trying to make something that she saw on the Great British Baking Show, and suddenly there's bullets coming through her window, and she can't figure out why. And that the, the story takes off from there. Well, we're excited about reading your three new books. And uh, listeners out there, be sure and pick up a copy. And we've had Charlie Lovett on today. Charlie, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. This is Henry McCarthy saying, Do not wait up for me. Do not be afraid to stay or still away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. And thank you, Ivy Shepherd, for producing this show. I listen to the wind, to the wind of my soul. Where I'll end up, well, I think only God really knows. I've sat upon the setting sun, but never, 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 never. I never wanted water once, never, never, never. Listen to my words, but they fall far below. I let my music take me where my heart wants to go. 
swam upon the devil's lake But never, 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 never I'll never make the same mistake